Hello, I'm Phil Gibson, and welcome to Biota. In this episode, we're going to explore the story of a tree species that is loved by millions of people worldwide. Its scientific name is Theobroma cacao, which roughly translates to cacao, food of the gods. I'm certain that the fans of this species think that food of the gods is an appropriate name because the seeds of the cacao tree are the primary ingredient in chocolate, one of the world's most popular food items. In this episode of Biota, we're going to think about cacao's past, present, and future, and to do that we're going to be joined by Mr. Robert Bowden, president of Vivi Ray Chocolates and an expert on the modern chocolate industry. I had the opportunity to interview him and talk about chocolate last August. But before we get to the interview, let's briefly explore the history of humans and cacao. Humans domesticated cacao over 5,300 years ago from wild species growing in the rainforests of South America. The genus Theobroma and its closely related but still wild relative genus, Herania, have a long history of use as sources of natural resources, foods, and medicines by the indigenous peoples of that area. Archaeologists studying pitchers, bowls, and other artifacts found at the Santa Ana La Florida archaeological site in southwestern Ecuador discovered that the Mayo Chinchipe people who lived there about 5,300 years ago were using cacao similar to a domesticated variety still grown in the area. Now this finding is significant because it's pushed the domestication of cacao almost 1,500 years earlier than was previously thought to have happened in the Mayan cultures in Central America. Now the Mayans believed that the god Quetzalcoatl gave cacao to humans as a sacred gift. Although the poor would occasionally use cacao seeds to a very limited extent as an ingredient in a gruel they ate, more often they would eat the cacao fruit pulp or squeeze out the juice from the pulp to drink fresh or to ferment. Cacao leaves were also used by healers to prepare different poultices and medicines. However, the leaders and wealthy individuals would grind roasted cacao seeds into a paste and then mix that paste with water and other local plants such as vanilla and chili peppers to make a frothy, spicy, and an even invigorating drink. We now know that these many positive feelings and beneficial effects from cacao come from the theobromine, the signature alkaloid produced in cacao and found in chocolate. Economic data from 2019 indicated that cacao is central to a $135 billion global industry, and that industry is expected to grow to $182 billion by 2025. The chocolate industry is a place of intense competition, with chocolate producers conducting extensive marketing analyses to determine who eats chocolate, what kind they eat, how they choose their chocolate, and many other aspects of how chocolate is part of people's lives. Chocolatiers of all sizes experiment with novel flavors like ginger, chili, and even green tea, or they'll add different inclusions such as rice chips, ground coffee beans, or even fruit to put into the chocolate with different types of cookies and wafers to make something unique. Chocolatiers can provide chocolate from different sources, or they can provide fine chocolate products of premium or artisanal quality to the discerning chocolate buyer. Now, all of the things I've talked about are just barely peeling back the wrapper on the topic of chocolate. So to help clarify some of the complexity in chocolate, I think it's time to bring in an expert. I'm thrilled to be joined by Mr. Robert Bowden, president and owner of Vivi Ray Chocolates, a company that specializes in artisanal, handcrafted, extremely fine chocolates. He not only works to provide some incredible chocolates to his customers, but he's also dedicated his efforts to bringing social justice and greater equity to the farmers who produce cacao. He's not only worked to help the people who grow cacao, 
Lee's also served on the board of the Heirloom Cacao Preservation Fund. This is an organization dedicated to preserving heirloom cacao varieties, protecting biodiversity, and empowering the communities that grow cacao. Mr. Bowden has received multiple awards in recognition of his work to not only make better chocolate, but to make the world a better place. He was named one of the Black Enterprise Modern Man's 100 Men of Distinction, and his breadth of knowledge and impact on the fine chocolate industry has earned him the nickname Mr. Chocolate. So here it is, my interview with Robert Bowden. Hello, Mr. Bowden. Welcome to Biota, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So where I would like to start is with you just describing to the listeners what Viviré Chocolate is. Viviré Chocolate is a made-to-order chocolate company that specializes in fine cacao from around the world. We pretty much do, uh, you know, we're kind of a corporate-centric. Uh, we do large volume, but we bring a fine chocolate flair to large volume, if that, if you will. Um, that's kind of what we do. That's our bread and butter. Uh, and, and when I'm not making chocolate, I teach a lot. I, I give lectures and uh, try to get more people interested in chocolate. Now, when you say large volume, what, what do you mean by that? What's that to you? To me, um, as, a, as a small business owner, um, for large volume, I deal with a lot of uh, companies that want to reach out to their employee base. So like, with the recent pandemic um, and people working from home, I work with companies that are trying to stay connected with their clients, with their employees, and we may ship nationwide and globally. We have shipped globally to thousands uh, of a very particular item that's crafted just for this client, and we'll send it all over the world. So wow. that could be um, my most recent uh order has, I think, 34,000 pieces. So that's an undertaking we're starting now. So that gives you a volume. We do everything from 100 pieces to, you know, as much. We I haven't said no yet, so. Excellent. Now, when you were growing up and, and thinking about what you wanted to do in life, was making chocolate or going into some food-related career something you had been thinking about? Never. <laughs> it was not on the radar at all. And so how, how did you end, end up going down this career path? Um, I was finishing up a career and trying to figure out what was next. And I, I knew what type of life I wanted and I knew what type of work I wanted to do or how I wanted that work to make me feel. And I try to, to remind people of that. I don't care what you do, figure out how you want to feel every day and what you want to do, how you want to live. So I was trying a couple of things. I was a business consultant for about a year. And uh, one of my clients was a chocolate maker. And I didn't, even then, it wasn't in the realm. He just kind of designed flavors. And I worked with him for a while. Um, realized that my services were kind of not going to be what he needed. I we parted ways and I realized that then I have all this information and I'd learned so much about uh, chocolate and I was fascinated at the production process and the growth and, and something that I'd never really given much thought to. I mean, it's a piece of chocolate. And so now yeah, that, that was the, uh, that was about seven, eight years ago. We celebrated our launch. I think our opening day is seven years ago, this October. So um, I ended up attending some, industry meetings and took this business plan that I designed for this other guy and said, let me try my own events. And I wanted to see if I, you know, not so much if I knew what I was talking about, but let me see if he could have actually applied what I wrote. And the business I have today is that business plan. So 
Excellent. Well, let's explore the process of, of making chocolate first. Can you explain to us the general process you go through in, in terms of how chocolate is made? That is, what ingredients show up at your company, and then what do you do to turn them into what I have to say are some of the most flavorful chocolates I've ever tasted in my life? <laughs> okay. It's um, the, the chocolate-making process. Um, the process is pretty uh, straightforward once it gets to my door. I have There are two methods. Um, there is what we you may hear often is bean-to-bar. And then that context, the beans, the actual chocolate beans show up at our facility. And then we go through the process of turning that into chocolate. Um, there's also is confections, which finished chocolate or uh, baking bulk chocolate shows up and we make an agreed uh, dessert from that. But for what I do, uh, for being the bar, you go through a process of roasting, grinding. So think of a toaster oven, cocoa the beans are roasted at about 200 or so um over a period of time and the the determining factor changes the flavor the the roasting coffee beans think along those lines um you don't want it burned and you can definitely tell when it's been burned um you roast then you grind um it's pulverized pulverized and it continues to grind and i think that's the lengthiest process that most people don't understand is that cocoa is a bean it's just a seed that comes out of a pod it's fermented, dried. Then it goes to this grinding process that may take mm, anywhere from 24 to 37 hours between most of my chocolate, which just sit and grind. And it continues to grind and gets finer and finer until the particles turn and liquefy. And you're pressing out the cocoa butter that's inherently in those beans. Then I add a sweetener. Some tip, it could be a sugar, it could be, um, there are various sweeteners that people like to add. And I try to keep it simple. We have no preservatives. We don't really add anything else. We keep it. Um, there's cocoa butter, there's uh, cocoa solids uh, and a sweetening fat factor. And this takes about mm, four to five days if I'm going from start to finish. It takes me, uh, the, the grinding process takes about two to three days by itself. Um, we add another day for roasting and, and shelling. And then once the chocolate is made, I usually let it sit for about a day or so. And then we start making something. So then that's bars, that's treats, that's anything else. But you're looking at about a five to seven day process. Now, that's not how I mean, people started using chocolate first. They didn't just start off with let's make candy bars. Where did where did it come from? Who started all this? Um, right now, uh, it is. The Central America is the origins or the, uh, the categorized origins of cacao. And it was, again, as the bean, it was dried. Uh, it was the fruit that was grown there. And it really only grows in, in about a five degree north or south um, latitude of the equator. And so it's grown there to its Central America. Um, I guess you could say it's like a, it was a drink. It was not sweet. It was not a chocolate bar. It looked nothing or tasted anything like we enjoy today. Um, and it was more of like a frothy, water-based, spicy, ch chalky kind of treat, <laughs> I guess you could say. <laughs> it was not what I would call tasty. Um, but it is known as food of the gods. That is literally the scientific name of cacao it is food of the gods 
and it was only uh, enjoyed by the wealthy and nobility. Um, but I think people forget that it was also currency. So it was the equivalent. No one cared that it was not necessarily pleasant tasting. It was ritualistic, but it was also I can eat money. So I think that is something that is often lost when we talk about, oh, it was a currency. Oh, it was only enjoyed by a certain section of the population. Yeah, it was the equivalent of I can can afford to drink money. And so that's kind of how it was. Um, but it was a very spicy, um, spicy and and watery. And it just was that. Um, chocolate didn't come to be what we know for several hundred years later. So. And so that would be when it was spread, it was taken to other mm-hmm. places and, and, and they would start to experiment with it and, and give, I yeah, guess, regional there flavors. There are a lot of fortuitous accidents. Um, what are because, some of those? Yeah, it, it started, they were still trying to find to make it, pal- it was not really palatable at all for, um, European palettes that were coming back with the explorers and all. So it took a while. They were, let's add a little of this, take a little of that away, add a little more of this. So the various regions, whether it was Spain, um, Morocco, France, Belgium, all those places kind of touched it differently. And and as it kind of spread across the continent, um, it kind of evolved and actually, the process of well, the chocolate that we know just it's one of those kind of leave the switch on situations oh it we we forgot to turn the machine off it kept going it kept going and it slowly got thicker and thicker and that's what happens the viscosity of it changes and you get what we kind of know is a, a melted hot chocolate oh so so it just came by accident and and people experimented and that yeah you're just tra- these- it's trial and error there was it it looked it looked differently in many places um and so it was in uh, Spain or the areas, the monks in Spain are who added milk uh, and creams to the mix to make it a little smoother. Uh, and each region added its own, you know, level, level of spices or processing. And, and I think by the time it got to Belgium, as you hear a lot of people commonly say, is that Belgium chocolate? I don't think they understand that that's a process, not um not an origin or not a a designation. It literally is just how it's made. Okay. Now let's let's turn our attention more to the production of cacao and growing the yeah. plants that where chocolate comes from. Um, so where is most of the uh, cacao grown uh, at the current time? West Africa, Central, uh, right in the um, while it may have started in Central America. of all the chocolate that is consumed around the world is grown in Ghana and Ivory Coast. Um, And that's been that way for at least the last hundred years. Now, I believe um, I heard once uh, when you were speaking that you visited uh, these these farms where it's grown. Could you describe Mm -hmm. that to the listeners? What does it look like, smell like, sound like? Um, I think. I was more taken at the just sheer beauty. You're in a rainforest, and I don't think that's commonly what we think of when we think of West Africa. It was a very lush, um, full of vegetation, huge rivers, very tropical. Uh, and the smell, there's so many fruits. There's bananas, there's plantains, there's uh, mangoes. There's all of those flavors that you know of instinctively, but you just never equate there. And... Um, 
it's very un I get untouched is the right word. It's very there's not a lot of roads. It's just a lot of jungle and it's very pretty. Uh, the smells are amazing. The food is amazing. So what I found there though was that no one really eats chocolate. So, but it's these beautiful places. Um, it's just an export, just like you know, it's it's in seed form. So it's not actually in a finished product. It's just another seed or bean, like we look at corn or llama beans or anything else. It's exported just as the bean. So when you're there, no, you can smell it in the air though. The um, the smell of cacao and fresh cacao is so intoxicating. And so can you tell me some more about the people who are, are growing the cacao? Are these sort of large corporations? Are these smaller co-ops? How does all of that work? I think, um, well, first of all, there are lots of small family farms. It is often assumed that there are lot, lots of chocolate. Um, when we hear the word chocolate plantation, a cocoa plantation, we assume the American version of large swaths of land and lots of people. The average cocoa plantation is actually only about five hectare, maybe, you know, sometimes down to two acres all the way up, it just kind of varies. And it's family operated. It's a mom, a dad, and possibly three kids. That's the actual producer of chocolate. And you have about 2 million of those across the continent. And so in these, these family production farms, are, do, they, do they ever get to, to taste the product? I mean, are they, they, um, how are they connected in with this? Or is it just a commodity to them? It's just a commodity. It's a, and it's a very loose commodity. If you are, um, it's loose commodity in the sense that the extent of what they know is that they're paid on the size of the beans, um, the weight, and as far as the quality, they, they, they've never had chocolate. So that a lot of them don't actually have, have ever tasted. They just haven't. Uh, so they have the beans. They know what they're graded on. Um, I went to one of the co-ops to just kind of see through the process and, uh, and they were very concerned simply because they thought I was like, I'm not here to buy. I'm not, I just want to know the process. And, uh, and so it's very physical, very surface level. Oh, the beans are so many, uh, centimeters or, or millimeters. And then they weigh so much and that's the extent of what they know. They know that it has to be dried. Uh, the legwork of drying it, fermenting it, um, getting it to shippable format, that's about it. So uh, chocolate never really comes into the equation. Chocolate is still one of the existing pre-colonial businesses. So um, basically when colonization happened across West Africa, you were given, this is what you're gonna grow. Uh, this, there wasn't a lot of dialogue on that, and it really didn't matter what you thought about it because you were producing. Um, this was fueled also by the um, the transatlantic slave trade, so you're bringing things like sugar. Uh, they're circulating sugar and rum and coffee and cocoa. I think people forget that cocoa was in that mix. And okay. um, so what happens is it became a cash crop for places like Switzerland and France and Belgium who again occupied and some still do those uh, countries. So what happens is it was never ever involved in the, you know, the, the end product was never a cog in the system. It was just, you make these things. Um, and that impacted the salary as well. That impacted how they were, how they were paid, what they were paid. Um, 
the average cocoa farmer subsists on about a dollar twenty-five to two fifty a day. Um, they make so much per pound. The catch twenty-two is that that's not a linear thing. So I spent a week in the rainforest, and and I can say pretty much they grow, they grow, they they harvest, and then hopefully with you know all contingent on their abilities they have to ship this via some truck if the truck can get in if it can't if they can get gas if they can't and ship this to a port to which they are then told this is what you'll be paid and that may happen that may now happen um there may be a standoff that they have nothing to do with and their money is being held uh in suspension and so it's a very tenuous, it's a very uncertain cycle, but that's the cycle that they are um, governmentally and economically locked into right now. And so if, if people want to make an, an ethical chocolate purchase or they want to you know, do what they can to, to help these, uh, these growers, what are the things that they should be looking for? What are the things they should think about when they make purchases? Your chocolate maker, your chocolate, uh, in, since again, thank you for, for the internet and the ability to shop from all over. If you um, look up Bean to Bar, um, your chocolate makers, your, fine, your American fine chocolate makers, um, all should be able to tell you what farm their chocolate comes from or their cocoa comes from. They have a vested interest to know uh, the, the plantations and, and have visited. They need to, if you are making something and you don't know the supply chain, um, that makes you a questionable um, player in the game because we aren't ignorant of the discrepancies. So it's our job to know. So if you find what in your local area, just uh, you know Google bean to bar chocolate. Um, and, and when you talk and talk to them, trust me, chocolate makers love to talk about chocolate. They love to talk about the process. So no one's going to be upset when you call and ask. And, and it's not even a confrontational thing. Just, hey, you know, tell me where tell me about where your chocolate's from. And they'll be glad to go on some fantastical story about, you know, they're on vacation and they found this place. So it's not as hard as one would think. And, and again, most ship, we don't like to ship during the summer, but uh, holidays are great. And um, but yeah, they should be able to tell you. And if they can't tell you, where they're sourcing their beans from, then that should be a red flag. Um, there are, there's a difference between chocolate makers and confectioners. I would like to, I think a lot of times we go to our neighborhood chocolate shop, those are not chocolate makers. They usually are, um, they buy it already done and then make something from it. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have done that my business has an arm that does that, but I also know where that chocolate came from. Um, and, and if they wanna make a supportive effort, um, right now, something that's kind of been pressing on my mind is one of my uh, providers is in Haiti. And I made it a conscious choice to buy chocolate as she was trying to rebuild the economy there after the earthquake, not this most recent one. Um, she opened something that they could do, they could produce, they grew cacao in uh, Haiti and it's called Ascania. A-S-K-A-N-Y-A. Um, but I, that's one of those things that my give back is I will try to find and, and buy from if I need bulk volume items. Um, so yeah, it's talk to them. Google it and talk to them. It's not hard. 
one last question about just the production side of things. Um, the IPCC report just came out talking about climate change and these impacts. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges maybe with climate and the environment that are facing cacao growers, the, the chocolate industry right now? Um, chocolate is very temperamental, both to make, to grow, to hold. <laughs> it's a very, uh, very tenuous, uh, volatile, uh, all of those things. So cocoa is only really grown in about 13 regions around the world total. And with it all being around the equator, climate change is affecting it really, really fast. So we're looking at where are some of the regions that can expand and we're trapped between a couple of major issues. Um, if you go further north of West Africa, which is Ghana, um, Ivory Coast, Toko Benin, you're getting into the Sahara Desert. So there's not much to grow there, which you, so it's inching up. So the, the growing climate is itching up further and further south um, of, from the equator. So if you go south of West Africa or south of Ghana and Ivory Coast, you're in the ocean. So um, you're in, you kind of landlocked and trapped there. So there's some concern, there's, there's some legit concern about uh, climate change. There is space, there's a little space above, there's a couple of companies um, I can't think of right offhand that are trying to do something with some of the space a little eastward and Northern um, in Africa because a lot of it's protected over just above uh, those countries. So it, you can't, you know, up, uh, cultivate it. So that's, a, that's a, a good issue and a bad issue. Yes, I'm glad they're conserving. And yes, um, they're building more forests to hold back the Sahara Desert, but you're definitely running out of space uh, for cacao. In the islands in Central America, same issue. If you go, you're on an island, so there's not a lot of space to go and even on some of the peninsulas, you're looking at, well, if we go north, we're in the water. If we go south, we're in the water. So that climate change is very real. So we are looking at everything from how to greenhouse and harvest, which isn't the most, um, um, it isn't the most stable. Uh, there's still some, they're still developing. It doesn't, because cocoa doesn't grow like everything else. I think that's something to be noted. So the the uniqueness in how it grow is grown doubled with the impact of climate change. It's very, very uh, shaky right now. Like so many things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, so, so now um, for this last part of the interview, I have some questions that students have asked me about chocolate over the years in my intro biology courses and economic botany courses. And I've done my best, but I figure you are the person who can answer these things. Um, I'll give it my best. <laughs> okay, so first one, um, a little bit of some MythBuster type questions. Does chocolate actually cause skin problems and people to have allergic reactions? Short answer, no. Long answer, there are lots of things that get between you and natural cocoa or natural chocolate. Think about cocoa butter. Cocoa butter is great for your skin. Cocoa butter is wonderful. That's the same cocoa butter that's in your chocolate. Um, it's just been added fragrances and so on and so forth, but um, don't eat it. <laughs> but it has been, uh, but that is cocoa butter. So cocoa butter is great for your skin. Um, that is the emollient that is inside of that, the plant fat. 
what you are usually having breakouts from are the additives, the preservatives, the artificial flavors, colors, and sweeteners, all of the, what I call fake stuff, uh, that is causing the issue, the allergies. Um, I'm not saying that no one can have a chocolate allergy. I don't, but you're going to have to rule out so many other things before you get there. Okay, let's go with another question here. What is white chocolate? White chocolate is the cocoa butter I was just talking about uh, added to a uh, milk fat. So you take the plant fat that is cocoa butter once it's pressed out. So that gives you, you think about cocoa powder. You want to know how you get cocoa powder? You, you press it enough till it becomes dry. You press it till all the liquid comes out. And so it's a, it's a pretty uh, extraneous process. So the remaining liquid that is pressed out of the chocolate that is left over, you take and add with uh, a milk fat. It's clear already, the milk fat is white. That's why it is white. Um, a lot of people would like to say it's not chocolate because it doesn't have cocoa solids, but think of it in these terms. If you have an item, which a, a cocoa bean is 50% solids, 50% cocoa butter. Are either of those not chocolate? So um, white chocolate is real chocolate. If it's really white chocolate, um, it's expensive to make. So before you run to your grocery store and grab what you think is white chocolate, look on the back of it and make sure you're not eating palm oil, artificial flavors and colors, because that is quite common. It's also known, I think it's a candy melt. Um, if you have to, uh, if you can use the chocolate and not, and not temper it or fluctuate the temperatures in it, if it can just be melted and goes right into temper, that's not chocolate. Okay. This next question, what is your favorite chocolate candy or chocolate food? Chocolate food um, is a black forest cake that my mother-in-law makes. Um, chocolate candy is a Twix. I, I'm not... I don't eat a lot of candy, ironically. Um, maybe it's occupational hazard, I don't know. But if I'm making something, I, I prefer it to not be something, I, or if I'm eating something, I prefer it to not be something I just made. So I like a Twix, but I've always liked a Twix since a kid. Um, but dessert, a black forest cake with real chocolate and real cream and uh alcoholic cherries i mean you can't beat those so. i i don't think you could beat that <laughs> all right so is, is making chocolate still fun are you still enjoying it i love it i love the process i will say that some people like making chocolate bars or making chocolate truffles that's their passion to me i'm fascinated with the entire process both from the business side um the production side the growth i like it i'm an outdoor boy so i like looking at what's happening on the farms i like knowing the process of that i'm not i'm not i'm good at let me rephrase i am very good at making a finished product but my passion lies a little bit further up the supply chain okay so as we wrap this all up i've got two final questions to sort of put this into a larger context First of all, what kinds of jobs are out there in the world of chocolate for botanists or other biologists in, in sort of any aspect? What are some career choices? Um, the field is wide open. I often tell um, my listeners that the chocolate industry is kind of like the Wild West. There's so, um, 
there's so many opportunities from a scientific standpoint um, to understand, um, again, the production, the as is in the growth, the horticulture of understanding how the longevity, the uh, reproductive cycles. There's so many things that go into that, that most chocolate makers, I mean, honestly, we, we are a second career. So there are a lot, you'll find a lot of lawyers, you'll find a lot of chefs, you'll find this miscellaneous, I came to chocolate in some fashion. So we need the support of people who are knowledgeable in the science of and how to apply the processes. We need those things to strengthen and improve because right now you have a pre-colonial system that's based on um, slave labor and volume. And that's really the, the basis of the cocoa industry. And we've working hard to change that. And, and there've been great strides made, but uh, our industry's partnered with a lot of universities to work on research. So, so many opportunities. Uh, find something that you specialize in as regards to research and, and testing and run with it. Now, this last question, I want to take an even larger perspective on all of this. And you have been recognized as a leader in the field uh, of business, and you were named one of the 100 Men of Distinction by Black Enterprise Modern Man in 2017. You mm-hmm. have, I believe, 20 years of experience as a world champion horse trainer and passion, experience yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. That, I, so can you give maybe just some advice that you would give to any listener out there, uh, especially those who are in college and are just thinking about the future, particularly now that everything is so unpredictable and there are just a lot of challenges? What advice would you give to folks as they sort of think about where they want tomorrow to go? Don't be married to your expectations. Be willing to evolve, be willing to see opportunity. Um, I'm able to be successful in chocolate as a business owner now due to the wildly diverse background that I had. Um, So don't, you don't fail, you find new ways of doing things. And I think that is the, you know, don't be so concerned about the outcome. Do the work and the outcome will be what it is. But that can take you into so many places. If I, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, would I be doing chocolate? I probably would have laughed simply because I was not a big chocolate eater. I didn't really know. I wasn't a chef. I wasn't a chocolate eater. I was none of those. So, but understanding that I have skills that I've acquired along the way, you have skills that you acquire as you grow. Be excited. Stay curious. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Before we wrap this up, would you please share your um, website or where folks can find out more about Vivi Ray chocolates? Yes. um, It's CocoVivere.com. It's C-O-C-O-A-B-I-V-E-R-E.com. We have taken uh, off for the rest of the month of August, uh, but what we do is we're open. Call us. I always tell people, tell me what you want to do. Tell me what the impact you wanted to have, and then I'll give you some options. It's not, um, we're we're everywhere like that. Social media, Coco Vivere on Instagram. You can find us. All right. Thank you very much uh, uh, for, for taking this time to be on the podcast and please take care. Thank you. As you can tell from what Mr. Bowden shared with us, chocolate is a plant with a complex history as it's made its journey from the rainforest of the Amazon to worldwide commodity. It was part of the triangle trade that carried plants and the enslaved people to grow them among West Africa, the North American and Caribbean region, and Europe. 
chocolate production was dictated by colonial policies and practices that built wealth for some, while the people that grew the prized crop received little or nothing in return. Even today, child labor and other oppressive practices continue in some areas. But there is a growing awareness of the true price of chocolate production, and purchase of fair trade chocolates and other products can help reduce that human cost. Although international corporations control global cacao and chocolate trade, most cacao is grown by farmers in West Africa working small plots of land. Not only must these growers contend with the many challenges faced by anyone producing a crop to sell on the global market, they are also facing the very real threats of a changing climate and how that will affect their ability to grow a crop that is highly climate sensitive. Like I said, it's complex. The United States accounts for 20% of world chocolate consumption, but it's only 4.2% of the world's population. In the United States, we spent $21.2 billion on chocolate in 2018, and that value is expected to grow to $22.7 billion for chocolates in 2022. Only a tiny fraction of that money makes it to the farmers. Also, to feed ours and the world's growing hunger for chocolate, African rainforests are being cut and converted to cacao production at an alarming rate. Deforestation combined with a warming planet are beginning to have synergistic effects that are making it more difficult to produce cacao. So what we need to think about for chocolate, as well as any natural resource, is how we can leverage our economic power to make decisions that result in better economic and ecological outcomes for everyone involved. And we need to appreciate that our decisions and our choices, some directly related to chocolate and others not, can have a huge impact on how chocolate is grown and the lives of those who grow it. Clearly, chocolate has a place of economic and to some people even religious significance in our modern world. To ensure that there is cacao and chocolate in the future, we need to make sure that we care for the people who grow it and take care of the only planet where chocolate is known to exist. I'm Phil Gibson, and that brings us to the end of this Biota episode on chocolate. I want to thank Robert Bowden for taking time out of his very busy schedule to join us on the podcast. You can learn more about him and his business by going to cocovvray.com. So once again, thanks for listening, have a great day, and take very good care of your genetic material. Biota is a production of Under the Juniper Studios. All opinions expressed are those of the author alone. Thank you.